When I first decided to come and work for the association, I had to think long and hard because the reason that we all do the work we do in higher ed is because we love the students, right? And I was worried that I might miss my student engagement. That was a real concern for me because being in an atmosphere where everyone is learning and growing and you watch these young people kind of arrive and then blossom and it's the most rewarding thing. And so I was concerned. In the end, I have found that I replaced the students with my members. is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Melanie Gottlieb. Executive Director at the American Association of Collegiate Registrars and Admissions Officers, or ACRO. Melanie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joanna. Hey, so tell us about ACRO. ACRO is a higher education association. We like to say we are the oldest higher education association established in 1910. Our members are institutions, and so we have 2,600 institutions who are members And then we also talk about our members as those who are employed at those institutions. And so we serve the admissions, the records and academic services, enrollment management, transfer and articulation, and international admissions and credential evaluation professionals at those institutions. We have about 11,000 active professionals in our membership. And Melanie, these are admissions officers and collegiate registrars in what type of settings? Colleges, universities, community colleges, nonprofit, for-profit? All of the above. So Ah. in order to be an ACRO member, you must be an accredited institution of post-secondary education. That's the bar. And so we have for-profit, we have non-profit, we have community colleges, we have career and technical institutions, we have R1s, we have regional publics, we have all of the kinds and all of the diversity of higher education exists within our membership. You know, Melanie, I've had a chance to work with ACRO for a long time, and I've had a chance to work with you. And you talk about how many of your members might have in the past had the title of Dean of Admissions. But today, they'll have a title of VP of Strategic Enrollment Management. You even have a conference devoted to SEM. So what is that? I think it's really important to ACRO. Absolutely. SEM is a very 
acro way to approach enrollment management. We call it strategic enrollment management for a reason. That's our differentiator. In higher ed, enrollment management is talked about outside of ACRO as recruitment and marketing. And that's actually what the deans of admission were generally charged with doing in the past. ACRO actually, with the formation of our conference and the establishment of a research journal, really cemented a new profession within our membership called strategic enrollment management. And institutions, as they engaged with strategic enrollment management, began to reorganize themselves because they saw how effective it could be. So what is it, right? Strategic enrollment management is an approach to institutional planning that ensures that all of the institution's resources are aligned in order to recruit the right students, to enroll them, to retain them, and to progress them through graduation and then launch them into their career. So thinking about career services and alumni services, it really addresses the entire life cycle of the learner and touches everyone. What we say in enrollment management is that enrollment is actually the job of every person at the institution. It is not just the job of the admissions office. And so in order to be able to recruit and retain students, you need to have the right programs. You need to ensure that the schedule that you provide actually fits and a student can progress through those. You need to make sure that the services that you offered to support the academic side are appropriate. You need to make sure that your extracurricular services are going to enrich the learner and help them get to their end goals. The entire institution in a strategic enrollment management plan is aligned to do that work. It feels a little like a no-brainer. Of course, we're all working at an institution in order to graduate a student. But to think about the enrollment and the persistence and the graduation of that student as your job, no matter where you sit at the institution, is a more radical way to think about it. And it is a very holistic way to think about it. And that's what we do at SEM. And that's how we practice enrollment management at ACRO. Boy, that's amazing. So you almost birthed the whole profession. We did. And then basically said, okay, colleges and universities, Get on the bandwagon to think more holistically about basically student life and how you recruit, retain, and graduate these students, and everybody has a role to play. Absolutely. I'll, I'll share just a, a short anecdote in that when I started my career 25 years ago, I remember my dean of admissions and my dean of faculty going to Acrosem, mm. and they came back completely transformed. They were on fire with this idea that we needed to reorganize the institution and work together more closely. Yeah, exactly. And it was a really exciting thing to see. And at the time, I had no idea. I was a young professional at that point. I had no idea how radical and how significant that was at the time. But yeah, I got to see it as a young professional. So that was very interesting. Well, that's amazing leadership on the part of ACRO, and we're going to talk about ACRO in a second. But first, let's talk about your journey. So how did you get to become executive director of ACRO? 
So ACRO has been at the heart of my journey as a professional from the very beginning. My first higher ed professional job was 25 years ago. I started my career in the registrar's office at a small college and was very quickly promoted upon the retirement of my predecessor, promoted to the registrar. So my very first boss and my mentor, Mary Jane Goodlow, she had me join ACRO. She told me that this is where you need to be in order to learn how to be a professional. I started at my regional organization, which was NEACRO. It was the regional chapter. And I went to the annual meeting. And every step of the way in my career, I engaged with ACRO. So I learned how to be a registrar through ACRO. I then later moved across the country to Missouri, the St. Louis region. And I was a registrar there for a bit. I then changed roles and was an international credential evaluator at another institution, then became director of international admissions and then director of admissions, eventually in my final role as VP for enrollment management at another school. That entire time, I was a very active ACRO member. I was involved in my state or in my region. I eventually became an ACRO board member through my national engagement. And then after rotating off the board, I was offered my dream job Wow! by my predecessor, Mike Riley, who said, hey, that strategic plan that you just wrote for the international side of ACRO, why don't you come work for me and implement it? And so I've been there ever since. So ACRO taught me how to be a professional. It gave me my professional network and my lifelong personal relationships and friends. It's just been at the center of my life for the last 25 years. So Melody, you were deputy director for six years and then you became the executive director. I mean, being an association exec is very different from being a registrar or admissions officer. So what's that like to be on the other side? I mean, even though you're working with registrars and, you know, SEM professionals, you got a really different job. Oh, really different job. Absolutely. When I first decided to come and work for the association, I had to think long and hard because the reason that we all do the work we do in higher ed is because we love the students, right? And I was worried that I might miss my student engagement. Ah. That was a real concern for me because being in an atmosphere where everyone is learning and growing and you watch these young people kind of arrive and then blossom and it's the most rewarding thing. Right. And so I was concerned. In the end, I have found that I replaced the students with my members. Ah, yes. Right? And so... Now I get to watch young professionals and help them engage with the profession and improve both their career and the work that they do at their institutions and then help them grow beyond that. It is very different work. It's a different focus. I did, I will say, uh, just to give a shout out to ASAE, I did earn my CAE credential in order to make sure that I understood some of the more business pieces that I might need for association work. But I feel like while the business of running an association is different 
It's a mission-driven organization. And the core of the mission of ACRO and the core of how we think about our work is much the same as how institutions think about their work. So it wasn't a giant jump. It just meant that instead of being sort of at the institutional level, I get to jump up and look a little bit more at a national level at the same work, but I'm looking at it from a more trend perspective as opposed to what's happening at my institution. So it's different, but the same, the heart is the same. You know, I can see why you think and perceive it as the same, because you're really looking at your members throughout their entire life cycle. How do we take young professionals or maybe professionals who are new to the industry and really help them learn and grow and blossom in their profession? So that's exactly what you were doing when you were at a university. Fascinating perspective. I want to give all of my members the experience that I got which was it taught me how to be a professional and plugged me in and gave me community and helped me to grow my career. That's what I want to give to all of our members. Well, I can hear the love for ACRO. So let's turn to ACRO. When you were deputy director, your previous executive director, Mike, started a new strategic planning process. He retired. You basically took the ball and ran with it. And you say that this last process was the most inclusive ever, and it's been the most impactful. So tell us about that, because you don't often hear about strategic planning processes that are this transformational. Absolutely. We were very lucky in that we started our strategic planning process before the pandemic. So really, we just continued to do that work through the pandemic and finalized the strategic plan during that pandemic period. And you were already involved. I was already involved. Yes, I was already involved. As deputy director, I was involved in that planning process. How we approached the plan was really different than how we'd approached it in the past. In the past, we'd either brought someone in from outside and it was a board process. And maybe there was some member informing and the executive director was involved, but the staff in general weren't so much so involved. We really decided that we were going to practice some strategic enrollment management on ourselves. Ah, We thought, let's apply the principles of some to ourselves and ensure that we are structurally set up to do the things that we want to do and thinking about it in terms of how do we help our members, their institutions and the individual members get where they need to be to support and grow higher education in the way that it needs to. And so we brought in a couple of our most seasoned SEM consultants who are practitioners at institutions. Oh, interesting. They ran the process and that process included conversations and feedback and focus groups with the board, conversations and feedback and focus groups with all of our staff, and the same with multiple member groups. And then multiple sort of larger town halls to get feedback from ACRO members at every step of the process. So we spent a year and a half-ish talking about strategic planning. And We were pleasantly surprised, honestly, by how many members 
actually were engaged in the process and wanted to be engaged in a virtual session that we had on the strategic plan in, I want to say it was 2021. We have like 600 members show up on a Zoom call. Oh my God. On strategies and tactics to meet the goals and give us feedback on the goals. We were using a very low-tech Jamboard process and we had so many members that like we couldn't spin up Jamboards fast enough because you can only have 50 people. Right, right. We thought we'd be lucky if we had 200 people. Wow. (laughs) 600 people showed up to give us feedback and to engage. And so I have never participated in a strategic planning process that was so participatory. And at every step of the way, we kind of did a feedback loop and made sure, yes, this is what we're hearing. Give us feedback on that. By the end of the plan, we really had total buy-in from the members, from the board, and from the staff, which the staff had never before beyond the executive level been engaged with the strategic planning process. It was always this process that happened over here. And then, hey, staff do this stuff. But we really energized the staff. And what that ended up necessitating was a reorganization of the staff and our work in order to go ahead and implement it, which has been a big process, but really rewarding. With a process like that, you're setting out a new plan. You're probably you know, trying to affect a culture change. Melanie, how do you affect a culture change when sometimes organizations will do that, will bring in somebody from the outside? But not only were you an insider, even the consultants were sort of insiders because they were from the profession. So how do you do that? Humbly? Yeah, okay. I won't say. So I think you do that by a lot of listening and a lot of transparent communication, like as much transparent communication as possible. I feel like we talk about our strategic plan and our connection to the strategic plan every time I speak. Like, I'm not sure there's a meeting that goes through without talking about that connection and the importance of it and the importance of each person's role in it. And we've reorganized the way that we work in order to make every staff member feel that connection. And so in the past, we would report about our our strategic plan by saying, oh, we did this work and it's tied to this goal. And we might've had KPIs that were attached, but really we were just kind of filling in a blank in a report. We are now engaged in this process where we have a 90-day continuous improvement process where every 90 days, we are looking at the goals that we set in the previous 90 days that are tied directly to the strategic plan. And they might be big goals that go across quarters, or they might be just small goals. Mm. And we're really just incrementally stepping through the work and every unit is rolled up in this and is reporting through that mechanism. Every 90 days, we're having a a half-day staff retreat and we're talking about it. Wow. We're saying what worked, what didn't work, what are we going to do next? And 
what are the big questions that like, what are we thinking about that we want some feedback on? Like what spaghetti are we throwing on the wall right now that we need to think through in order to get to the next step? I will say the first two quarters were bumpy, (laughs) but by the third quarter, we figure it out and are really excited to have the last quarter because then we'll be able to really report on, hey, look at all that we did in this year. And it really has been completely transformative in the way that we work, in the way that we think about our work, and in the way that we plan. So it's been really exciting. And I think it has aided the culture change in a lot of ways because we really did shake almost everything up. And so everyone had something new to think about. Everyone had patterns to break. And that's, I think, helpful. Well, if you're having a half-day retreat every 90 days, you're giving yourselves the time and space to really think about the plan, but you're also kind of forcing the issue, right? You can't go back to doing things the old way because you got to have stuff to report on right? <laughs> during that 90-day retreat. So you're really forcing the issue. That is just brilliant. Well, I will say... I have a really strong executive team and I did implement one position that is really tied to strategy and planning. She's amazing and she's a driver. And that's been the other piece that's been really important is you have to have strong drivers Yeah, yeah. in this process, you know? And so leadership is one thing, but you got to keep people process managed as well. And that's been absolutely helpful. And I want to say one other thing, and, and that is around culture change. Coming from the inside, my approach really was to say to all the staff, look, this is our opportunity here. We are in a new environment post-pandemic where we are more remote than in person. Right. We have a brand new strategic plan. You have brand new leadership. Let's talk about what kind of a workplace we want and let's do that. Because we can do that. We can define that. And so we really had those kinds of conversations. And I think it's been effective because people feel like they have been a part of this. Melanie, I love this. We're having a similar conversation at Matrix. We're calling it Work 4.0. And it's how we work, why we work. And it turns out the how we work and how we work together and how we work apart and how we maintain culture seeps into everything. Mm-hmm. Melanie, let's turn to something different. I think you'd agree with me when I say that higher ed is tumultuous right now. Mm-hmm. So much happening that we can talk about. And what you say is that what's helping ACRO thrive is one of your signature initiatives, and it's called learning mobility. Can you tell us about that? Because it's not obvious from the title what that means. So all of the work that our members do, I'll remind you, our members are admissions and enrollment management and academic records, transfer and international transfer, all of our ACRO professions are tied to moving a learner into and through education. That traditional path of education that, you know, you enter as a freshman, four years later, you graduate, it's I would say, becoming less and less traditional in the higher education space. Hmm. And so there's lots of pressures that are tied to that. And higher education needs to adapt to the needs of what has increasingly become the non-traditional has increasingly become the traditional learner. 
And so that encompasses things like institutional policy and practices around transfer and admission, big P policies in how we engage in advocacy in government relations, a lot of technology around the digital mobility of records. You know, when one learner goes from one institution to another, whether that's a high school or a post-secondary ed, how is that record transmitted? Hmm. What's in that record? How are we communicating the learning that a learner is achieving? And how are we consuming that? And then it also has to do with thinking about the value of higher education. So central to ACRO is the transcript. Like we have a transcript guide. We give guidance and recommendations on what transcripts need to look like. And that transcript has not changed dramatically in a hundred years. I mean, really, it's been a listing of courses organized by semester that talks about what the student took and then their credits and grades. What does that communicate about the value of the learning that the student has? It's a document that is really useful to a registrar and to an admissions person if they're trying to sort of create widgets into the system. But that's not the way that learners are achieving learning now. 40% of learners now entering higher education or at any institution are coming in with prior learning. Right. They're coming in with credit from other institutions, non-credit work that they've done online, Employers are spinning up programs, Google and Microsoft and all these companies have all of these credentials. And the learner wants you to think about those credentials. Ah. And higher ed, there's more and more pressure for institutions to be thinking about what has that learner done and how can we incorporate that and help them earn a meaningful credential that is tied to that. And so all of the work that we are doing right now is tied to this learning mobility and it has a myriad of facets and every single one of them touch every bit of the work that we do. So is the transcript changing? Yes. Oh, wow. Something to look forward to. Okay. I have a kid in college. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it has already in some cases, but there's a lot that needs to happen. But the end goal is that we want to equip the learner with better tools to articulate what they learned and then also to communicate the value of what they've learned to the outside world and employers because higher education has a a public relations problem. We have not done a good job of helping the general public understand what happens at the institution and how that impacts learners' lives. I know intrinsically about the value of higher education I would not be where I am right now without education in my life. I've seen it transform lives, but that's not good enough for the general public. And today's learner wants to connect their education and get a return on investment to a job. And we haven't done a good job of making that connection and communicating our value to our employers or to the general public. And the fact that higher education costs so much. Right that we have to do a better job of showing that return on investment that we know is there. And we also need to ensure that that outcome 
is available for everyone. We really want to ensure equitable access and outcomes for the entirety of our community. So that's at the heart of learning mobility. How we translate that and the work that we're doing gets really granular really quickly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you talk about access and equity, and let's go there for a second. I know that these two topics or values are really important to ACRO. You've got this very, again, kind of divisive and charged DEI climate. You've got the Supreme Court decision. So what does access and equity look like at ACRO? What are you doing in this area? Access and equity has been pretty central to much of the work that we do for 15 or 20 years at least, because we have this board position. Our members have self-organized. There's been some grassroots engagement to create caucus groups. Our caucus groups are identity-based groups, and we have women's caucus, we have a Black caucus, we have a Native American caucus. We have caucuses for just about any kind of identity group, LGBTQIA, all of that. And these caucus groups are intended to help professionals find their community and create sort of peer and mentoring support for them and to give them a voice into leadership. And that's why we've had this leadership position. In the current climate, these caucus groups have been really important for us because they have given us an avenue to reach underserved members. And it's given us an avenue to kind of support communities within our organization that what we see from the data are not progressing from a career perspective in the way that we would want or expect them to. We've been looking at data for a long time and we have a partnership with Coupa HR and they provide us with kind of the data on our professions. And we can see at the base level of the acro professions that there's a lot of diversity especially in admissions, there's a lot of really intentional diversity. Hmm. Admissions has always paid attention to that because they know that if you want to recruit a diverse cohort of students, they need to see themselves represented. You need diversity. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so admissions has always been very diverse at the bottom of the profession. But what we see in both the records and the admissions and enrollment management spaces is that As those pipelines move further, that diversity drops off tremendously. Ah, we see this in so many professions. Yes, exactly. And so we feel like we have a real opportunity right now because that opportunity is the boomers are retiring and the pandemic has accelerated some of that. And so there are lots of positions opening and we want to make sure that the pipeline to fill those positions is as diverse as possible. And so we're developing lots of programming to try to identify promising professionals, help mentor them and give them the networking tools that they need in order to get them to the next level and get them you know, at a competitive place so that they can fill those opening spots. Because I feel like right now, if we don't do it now, we're going to lose an opportunity for another 10 or 15 years because that's the way the pipeline works. Wow. Melanie, I'm going to have to have you back because we didn't get through half the topics that we discussed during the prep. So I want to thank you for sharing 
everything that you shared today. Good luck with the journey. Good luck with all the new initiatives. And I'll have you back soon. Thanks so much, Joanna. I can't wait to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye. Bye.